And once again, a huge shout out to all of our financial supporters over at patreon.com forward slash 878survivorfm. All of our production managers, Shane Murphy, Tank Dazza, Hawks Hammer. Our producers, Red Freedom, thank you all so, so much for your generous support over all of this time. Next, a huge thanks to all of our YouTube members, all of our emote bandits, our 87.8 survivors, King Alobar, Raymond Normoyle, Marson P2, Melbourne's Adventures, Pettyweddy, The Greedy Peasant, Sauerkraut, and The Receding Man. And our two podcast bosses, Kenny Baker and Foxy Pope. All of you are legends who help the shows go on each and every week. Thank you all for your support, even just by watching or listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's show. And we are live in five, four, three, two, one. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Spotlight on Road to Vostok. We are joined today by Auntie. How you doing, buddy? Hello. Thanks for having me. Mate, thank you for agreeing to come on. Um, now we've got um, uh, 20 odd people in here. Um, there's a lot of excitement about this game, mate. A lot of excitement. Uh, it, it's something very different to a lot of the uh, games in this genre that we're seeing come out at the moment, this um, survival post-apocalyptic sort of genre. Nearly everyone seems to be going for the multiplayer and you're going for the single player, which yeah, I know I know there's some people, like um, I run um, primarily a DayZ community and some people were quite excited and they found out it was uh, um, single player and they're like, oh, no, but I, I admire you uh, for bucking the trend and trying something different. But we're going to talk more about the game um, soon. I want to um, find out a bit more about you because you're, you're quite a fascinating uh, person. Um, you're going to have to um, translate the, uh, I'm guessing that's finished uh, comments there in chat from uh, Chost. Uh, one moment. Pivafi, I think it's, um, uh, I probably. Yeah, it's just good, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Did, did, how badly did I butcher that? Uh, pretty bad. <laughs> I actually found out not that long ago that I have um, uh, some uh, DNA from uh, the Finland, Norway sort of region as well, which I had no idea I had in me. So that was that was quite interesting and fascinating. But yeah, so back to you, mate. Single person running a game. Wow. What what got you into game development? Because um, some people are aware you've got a uh, a military background as well. Yeah, my my journey to game dev started back in two thousand twelve, and uh, in Finland at that time we haven't had much uh, big success in the game industry. There were uh, like major studios like Remedy and some other which make Max Payne and all those international games, but uh, back then, there wasn't this big uh, mobile game boom, what, which started later on in involving Robio and Supercell and 
those companies. So uh, back then it, it was kind of like unsecure for me to hop into game dev. Uh, so mm-hmm. I kind of like deviated to military. But uh, basically what got me into game dev was uh, DayZ, the original DayZ mod and also yeah. the game Alan Wake, which was uh, made in Finland. So I kind of like uh, got immersed to this post-apocalyptic survival genre and uh, basically dreamed that one day I want to make video games, but that time it was kind of like a long goal. But in any ways, it started 10 years ago, and mm-hmm. slowly over the time, I, I got those skills together, and uh, there was uh, indeed some deviations to the military life, but I yeah. returned back to the game dev. And, and how long did you do in the military? Yeah, in Finland, it's kind of like all based on this uh, conscript service. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you guys have that, but in Finland, every every 18-year-old male does that. And uh, I went to that conscript service. I find that I enjoyed that mm-hmm. uh, life back then quite a lot. So I spent a whole year uh, doing that. I went to like a platoon leader school uh, during my conscript service. Uh, and after that, uh, there was kind of like a couple of art jobs, and then I applied to Finnish National Defense University, which is, which is kind of like uh, same as USA have this West Point yep. thing. So it's kind of same thing in Finland. Uh, I spent three years there, and then I became an active duty uh, lieutenant. And but during all those years, there there was still this thought on back of my mind that someday I will return to game dev and when uh, I during that military military life uh, I was doing like at the same time improving my skills as a game developer and waiting that moment when I can transition to full-time game dev. So it, it sounds like you're actually quite young do you mind if I ask how old you actually are right now? Yeah sure I'm 29 years old. Wow wow you yeah, that that blows my mind. Like, um, uh, I, I know just enough about uh, game development to get myself in trouble trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, if, if yourself, um, you've got, you see, you've got quite a similar backstory to um, probably someone I'm going to guess um, is a bit of an idol of yours, Dean Hall. Uh, that military background and then get into game development and, um. Yeah, I, I I literally wouldn't even know where to start um, with getting into that. You know, I just did a um, another interview on the weekend with a guy who taught himself how to mod uh, for Daisy, and he's now you know um, showing himself as one of the better ones. But to to go from do you, do you have any other game development background or or modding, or is this just your first foray into game development? Yeah, uh, I, I've been making wow. small projects for ten ten years, and but this is the first like public project that is under my name solely because I have made this like work for hire stuff and freelance stuff, and uh, I was an asset publisher for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the main like experience in the game there was that when I was doing all this freelancer and work for hire stuff, uh, I transition to teaching game dev so i spent four years as a visual game design teacher um, in a city called tampere in finland mm. and i taught over 200 game dev students 
nearly 50 game project per year. Uh, it was kind of like fun times because uh, when you're working as a game dev teacher, you have this like bird's eye view on the game projects and how to like uh, manage timelines and productions because you're not involved directly, but you have to like learn those stuff in any way. And yep. that teaching job was one of the main like uh, skill boost for me because when you're doing so many game projects for for th- all those years, and most of the games are involve mechanics and skills that you don't have maybe at. For example, if you are indie game developer, you're probably interested in some one of two different genres and that's all but when you're a teacher you have to learn all of those genres because if one student group wants to make a rally game and you're not personally interested about rally games that that doesn't matter you still have to learn about rally games and so all those years of like forced learning with different genres and styles and mechanics it's it really like boosted my uh, experience level uh, to the point where I had all the skills and background needed for this project. So, do you, um, I'll, I'll get to backtrack a little bit here. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you've got a um, a, a partner. Uh, do you have any children or anything like that? Uh, not currently. Not currently. Okay, so because I was sitting there wondering how you're juggling all of this, and it, it, it seems like such a big commitment to um, develop your own game um uh by yourself you know the 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 hours you must be putting in every day must be absolutely insane Uh, i wouldn't say insane but it definitely requires huge commitment and discipline to like uh keep up with the production and progress Uh, but i can honestly say that uh, i have also like planned my life in a way that I can be totally selfish in that sense that I can spend that amount of time to this. So this project and pre-production of this game is also kind of like partly required me to plan my life in a way that I can manage these hours because if I had all those responsibilities now, uh, this project would be much harder to do. Uh, Do you have another job uh, or are you pretty much full-time focused on Road to Vostok now? I'm full-time. I transitioned. I quit my job as a game dev teacher back in last June, uh, and I became a full-time developer. So this is a, a great time then, I think, um, to... Uh, I'll put the uh, links up again. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in the game, uh, one of the links that I just put up there is the Patreon, um, which would be a fantastic way for you to be able to continue to support what um, Auntie's um, doing here with Road to Vostok. Um, I, I have signed up on behalf of the 878 community as well um, as one of the patrons for it because, um, yeah, it's not like it's going to be a, um, a, a scam of any sort. Um, we're just helping someone develop. And if we get a great game at the end of it, we've already got a working demo. Um, definitely consider checking out that um, Patreon. Um, if I can bring it up. And we can, um, uh, it looks like I've got a bad link in there. Uh, that's what the problem is. One second. Um,
that should um yeah i've just uh fixing it now i've got um uh no spaces um it, it's kind of weird um i love uh streaming on youtube but um uh it that should all work for you now folks so let's see if i can get the patreon to open up this time nope it still didn't work my apologies folks There you go. That's the uh, link right there. Um, so that should work this time, and we will bring it up on screen. Patreon's a pretty good way to um, uh, communicate, and one of the um, good things um, with the Road to Vostok is, um, unlike my own Patreon, uh, Auntie's actually posting quite regularly on there, folks, um, and keeping uh, those of us who are um in the community up to date yeah you can see there um uh, just four days ago um uh, did a post um so this is all um in there lots of information and i can tell you he does actually read uh the messages if you send him because that's how i've ended up with him as a guest on the show here isn't it auntie yeah and i think transparency is like one of the major factors for this kind of early access survival game genre so patreon yes. is kind of like the uh the biggest way to have the transparency but in other social medias if patreon is not for you that's totally fine uh i'm, I'm planning to keep up with this transparency and show uh, all the things behind the scenes so no, no hiding in this project that awesome <laughs> okay so hopefully that's all working now the um uh no it's, it still looks a mess i'll have to um have a look at that later but uh we shall carry on okay so what was the inspiration for Road to Bostock? Um, uh, you've got uh, it's been described as uh, elements of um, yeah on on the website itself. You do mention um, um, that it's got uh, uh, heavily inspired by Stalker. Um, and yes, we will be doing uh, questions beans, uh, but we'll try to we'll save those for a little bit later. If you do have a question around what Auntie and I are talking at at the time, please post it. Um, I try to be as interactive as possible when I'm doing interviews uh, because I'm only one person uh, and you guys and girls out there may have a better uh, question than I do or you may um, have an idea of something that you would like elaborated on. So, yeah. So, um, you, you've also, in some of your dev blogs, talked about your inspirations from DayZ, um, from um, other games. Um, just talk us through um, the development process from uh, when you first started conceiving what you were going to go after. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's multiple perspectives for this, but I'm going to start with uh, 10 years ago with that time when I played really actively the Daisy mod. And I'm sure your audience, who are all Daisy fans, probably know that uh, famous airfield, Northwest Airfield, back yeah. in the uh, up up north. And uh, I always really loved that like gameplay loop, even though isn't it, that wasn't like rooted in the lore or anything. It it was just an air, airport on the map, but still there was this like dangerous journey mentality when you started on the coast. You slowly looted and prepared for your journey up to the north to that airfield which was like really high pvp zone and high risk high reward in terms of loot and 
that gameplay loop was really compelling me back then. And like mentioned, Daisy was kind of like uh, the first moment for me when I learned that I want to make these type of games in the future. Uh, but a couple of years ahead, uh, Stalker indeed was big passion of mine. I, I, I really enjoyed the atmosphere of Stalker. Uh, Daisy being... Uh, also in third person and the graphical style is really nice back then uh, but stalker kind of like sealed the deal for me in terms of the atmosphere that i wanted to create and all the like the lore elements in related to the zone even though stalker has these uh like fantasy elements to it monsters and mutants and so on mm-hmm. but basically combining that daisy's gameplay loop that northwest airfield and having that stalker like atmosphere was really compelling to me and then i kind of like mixed this uh, mindset to place where i lived uh, uh, i have been living most of my uh, early years in a city called hamina in finland which is about 30 kilometers from the border zone between uh, finland and russia and that border zone area has so many like cool nuances and history elements and the environment there has really compelling locations for post-apocalyptic survival game and then uh, knowing that area and that road that leads to that border zone kind of like reminded me of that daisy time when i thought the journey to the airfield so that's basically the idea that started i I would say around 2014 was the first time i like really uh, made notes about this idea and wrote the Vostok, uh, but I wasn't ready to make this type of game back then because it would would have been a failure. I, I didn't have those skills yet, so I patiently waited all those years, almost ten years, for this moment that I I can start produ- producing this game. So that's basically the uh, early days of this project and inspirations. But along the line, uh, Escape from Tarkov game, and it's kind of like was a confirmation that there's still room for these really hardcore games and no hand-holding and having those really tough mechanics and RPG elements blended with FPS games. So uh, there's also a bit of uh, Escape from Tarkov in this project. Uh, But I would say the combine of those and also a little bit of Long Dark and Project Zomboid is the like inspiration for this game. And Project Zomboid is a bit of an underrated one that a lot of people forget about. Um, but um, I, I haven't dabbled in it myself. It's it's on my wish list of um, games, but, but I'm a married man, and you know I've got my shows that I do on that as well. So it's, uh, time is um, we're all there, so time poor these days. But one of the aspects of uh, Project Zomboid I hear um, uh, spoken about quite highly is the crafting side of it, um, and I see that's one of the um, areas that you want to focus on um, in um, this game as well. Um, you're you, probably have... meaning the looting system, meaning yeah. the containers, and yeah, uh, Project Zombo is definitely underrated or n- not appreciated as, as much as it should be, because I, I also think that Dean Hall and the original Daisy team was kind of inspired by uh, some of the Project Zombo elements. I have heard some interviews where they like mm-hmm. really appraised that game, so that's that's like in terms of mechanics and gameplay, Project Zomboid is an awesome game. But 
unfortunately many many people are let down by the isometric style and yeah. maybe the graphical style but in terms of gameplay and mechanics that that game is totally awesome <coughs> so we've been looking at the uh the website and um some of the environment in that um uh, one of the questions i do have and i apologize if it's been in a um dev blog um uh, but with the media uh, most of the images all seem to be uh, obviously not in the winter. Is there going to be seasons in the game? Yes, I have actually yes. posted on Twitter a couple winter pictures. I, uh, there should be at least one. Uh, and winter is going to be because in, in Finland, snow is like one of the key elements of the yep. year and this season thing so uh, winter is going to be there's a couple of options to have that winter survival experience the first will be that when you start the game uh, one mode uh, is called like dynamic seasons where it involves summer uh, autumn winter and spring and one option is to uh, mod your gameplay in a way that you only play summer or you only play winter or there's kind of like configurations to this. But the main point of winter in this game is going to be like, even though the base game is going to be a hardcore survival game, the winter is going to be like the Iron Man mode. Uh, meaning it's so, yeah. uh, there's so many different elements to consider when there's snow and cold and water freezes. So that's totally different experience. So I, I'm planning that the winter would be like deviation from the main gameplay which is going to be most of the times the summer, but when you want to step a few notches the the difficulty, there's the winter survival mode for that. Now, just um, for those of you who are watching the stream, I do apologise. I live in Australia. My internet is third world, even though we are a first world country. Um, but I'll, I'll just close that down. Um, you can see the uh, winter background there. Um, so basically there's going to be an element of um, having to prepare to survive the winter period um, of the uh, the map cycle. Yes, that, that's it. one of the game modes, that like dynamic seasons where it changes. That has made me very, very happy um, because, yeah, that's uh, like I said uh, earlier on, um, I think before the interview and you mentioned it, The Long Dark is one of my favourite um, games when I'm just not feeling that, you know, wanting to get on and um, uh, yeah, compete with other players. Um, the Long Dark is my go-to game because it's brutal and, you know, you can't really reproduce um, uh, well, that that whole snow factor and freezing just gives a whole survival element that it, it, it's almost, you know, an, an easy one to do, but it, it, it's... This looks absolutely amazing, and you know, if anyone who knows about that sort of region up in uh, Finland, um, Russia, and that it gets brutally cold there, doesn't it? Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say like the maximum that I experience when there's a wind, there is like something minus thirty degrees sometimes. But in in Finland and all these northern countries, the snow and winter is so key element to most times of the year. So. Uh, this game definitely needed that, and that winter ex survival experience is going, going to be pretty pretty rough because all, all things related to ha re acquiring water and all those key survival resources, everything gets harder when there's snow and cold. Yeah. Now, in the um, devlog, um, just trying to, 
remember which episode it was, but you had that um, lovely graphic which um, explained the um, the split between the two halves of the uh, the map, um, and that basically one half is going to be a safer zone, um, and the other mm-hmm. half is going to be a more brutal zone. Um, what's going to be the main challenges in the safer side of things um, for players? before they do go and risk it all by going across into the more hardcore um, you know, permadeath side. Yeah, the, basically the safe zone is called Area 05 and it's located on the Finland side of the border zone. And the main ideology is kind of same as spawning in the coast area in Daisy, where yeah. you get your initial loot and start your character progression and plan your journey. Uh, up to the north, the idea is kind of same, but in horizontal map layout. Uh, whenever you go east, the game gets harder, the maps get difficult. Uh, but in Area 5, there's these shelters, and uh, I've for a long time I, I've been wanting to have that kind of survival game that really uh, makes a realistic approach to shelters because. Uh, scum and all these dead side and most of the survival games focus on maybe these wooden shacks and sticks and stones and not not all games perhaps but uh, probably you know know what I mean so having like realistic abandoned buildings that you can like customize the interior and make them feel like your home is one big uh, task that I want to get right because even though Tarkov has the hideout that really doesn't feel like your home. It's the same for everyone and there's not much customizability in terms of the looks. So I, I really want to provide those options for you to decide where you want to like have your bug out locations and food storages and kind of like um, because those are your like checkpoints. You can save your gear and loot there, but mm-hmm. whenever you go to the map, you lose that gear wh- which you have on that map. So in Area 5, in that safe zone, you're go- going to have those. And then there's also going to be this like store map, which is uh, in Stalker, you have this like trader campfire uh, mentality where all the like common people on the map kind of like meet and greet and there's no hostility. Uh, there, so I want to implement something similar. So in a couple of streams, I have already demonstrated some of this. But there's going to be one like uh, store map, which is going to have this in-game trader, and it's like uh, demilitarized, so no shooting. Or or you can actually shoot the guy, but you are going to ruin the trader for you then. And there's all these supply lines. Uh, one map, for example, is called Highway. There's a supply truck that goes through that map to the store map. And if you ambush that supply truck, it's going to cut that supply line for the shop. So there's no specific items then there. And some of supplies come through water, uh, some are airdropped. And basically that store map is like this common ground for uh, the bandits and you uh, without having that like real fear of losing your gear because it's kind of like same in stalker that like campfire mentality so that's one key element on the area of five map and then there's the border zone which have these like crossing points and those will have different gameplay mechanics for example some crossing point may have a minefield that that's one option you can take some crossing point uh, may have a broken bridge which requires different types of skills for example some platforming or movement 
uh, on top of that rusty broken bridge. Uh, some crossing point might involve some kind of uh, key lock mechanism. For example, there's a boat, but you need uh, gasoline for that boat, or there's an option to smuggle you uh, other side of the border if you have enough bartering items. And different crossing points have different gameplay mechanics, but whenever you cross that red dotted line that is showing on the screen, uh, that's basically the main element of this game. Then there's going to be this like red school icon on the left top of your screen, and if you die when you cross that border zone, you lose everything. Absolutely everything. Not every save, every gear, and this is kind of like in Stalker, you are already inside the zone when you play the game. But in Road to Vostok, you are not inside the zone until you cross that border, and that Vostok area is basically the Stalker's zone. There's no uh, fantasy elements, but the atmosphere is going to be totally different, the tension is going to be totally different, and I really want to provide that dangerous journey feeling when you cross that border. So the minute you cross that border, that is the the death zone? Yeah. Okay, so just clarifying I that, because um, Beans was asking that in uh, chat there, because um, it's like almost that there's three zones, but um, yeah, so it's pretty much permadeath, from this side, and you're safe and you can go back. So just to clarify, just to make it abundantly clear, you die in here, you lose everything you've got in your um, safe zones, um, saved away in houses and that, in Area 5, or does that still stay there? You lose absolutely everything. Okay. Whenever you die on those red maps, you lose all your progress. Yep. But uh, there's one caveat to this. Uh, in terms of customizing your gameplay, the base gameplay of Road to Vostok will have that permanent, but in single-player games I find that there's no reason for me to lock uh, or like lock out different styles, styles of gameplay, so in the starting menu there's going to be ways to configure your experience, so some kind of like custom mode where you can tweak those permanent settings would be totally fine for me, so basically Removing that permanent for some areas of the game, I don't mind that, but the base core gameplay loop of Road to Vostok will include that permanent. Okay, I like that. Um, you know, let, let people play the way they want to, but um, I, I think I'll be definitely leaning towards the permadeath because it just adds that extra sense of um, uh, you, you're risking everything uh, by, yeah, having a shot at the title when you go across into the main map. Um, now, you've mentioned AI players. Um, are they going to be AI in the way of uh, bears, wolves, um, other um, uh, uh, things to be worried about? Uh, yeah, they, they are not going to be like really constant hazards for you, but yep. I think in a game like this where the atmosphere is one key element, I think there should be something in the woods to be scared of. For example, if you are uh, moving between maps uh, in the night, uh, I think there should be something that if you hear some uh, stick cracking or wood thing on your back, you, because if there's nothing, you, there's no need for fear in those situations. So I want to implement something that can like trigger that fear element in the night, for example. But yep. there's not going to be any fantasy elements, but there will be some wildlife that could be behind your back. Will they be in Area 5 as well, or just over in the uh, Vostok zone? Uh, let's just say that the wildlife gets more hostile or more <laughs> more scary, yeah. scarier whenever you go east. 
So okay. everything basically horizontally gets more scarier, yep. more tense in the gameplay, uh, more difficultly in the AI when you move towards the east. Now, there, there was something you talked about just recently um, uh, with the uh, element of, uh, you know, like you said um, quite clearly, that your, your initial focus is on single player. Once you've got that um, sorted, you're going to look at um, potential co-op, um, which is great because, you know, sometimes you do want to be able to jump on and play a game with your mate. Um, but one thing uh, that you made a comment about that really intrigued me was um, you, you you don't want to go into multiplayer, you know, PvP um, uh, players trying to kill other players, but you definitely want there to be a way that um, you can know that other players have been there. Um, is that something you can flesh out a bit more for us now, or is that still in development? You want to keep that under wraps until you've got more uh, meat on the bones, um, so to speak. I can totally uh, like cover some aspects to this. So yep. basically, like small online features that are totally optional. Always the game will be uh, full offline if you want that. But if you want to turn those online options. Uh, turned on i think having something like visual clues about the other players being in some maps are fairly easy to implement uh for example there could be like if there's like old wooden like wilderness capping somewhere in the woods there could be like this journal on on the table and maybe some other player has written something on the journal and if you come to that map you can see what what there has been or some footprints on the ground, or maybe the decoration have been changed. For example, if the player has destroyed some doors or something. But uh, I haven't fully like designed all these features. But I I already knew that implementing some of these like visual elements of other players uh, without actually having to see them yourself is totally doable for this project. And I think those will be implemented. Uh, if I implement those core features, so after that might be the possible time for those. You um, mentioned um, before about um, how some of the crossing points are going to have um, special requirements for you to be able to um, access that uh, particular crossing point. Um, Hardwater Gaming in chat there has asked um, a good question. Will there be, uh, and not, we won't just limit it to contaminated zones, but will there be locations in the, um, the, the deaf zone that um, you, you're going to need to be very prepared for to uh, be able to handle uh, going into, such as, you know, like um, DayZ has its um, uh, contamination zones where you need to have the um, uh, the all the NBC gear on. Uh, have you got anything in mind like that that you could talk about, or is that still yeah. being developed? Uh, uh, basically, uh, I'm not wanting to, like, on uncover the whole lore for this game but there's a specific lore that relates what has happened in the border zone and what basically has caused this post-apocalyptic event and it has involved uh, all kinds of military activity and uh, basically the Vostok side of the map is going to be pretty rough in terms of visuals and there's going to be all these destroyed buildings and burnt forest and the like landscapes is totally different than Area 5, and in in that zone there's going to be like different hazards uh, hazards for you. So uh, one can be, for example, there was this contamination thing. So there might be that. Uh, there might be some uh, radi radiation mm -hmm. related things because there all, all those like bad uh, things have happened 
near that zone and that are reflected through gameplay when you go that zone so some of the maps are not that easy to access they will be open for you but you are going to need specific gear uh, for those maps before you go there so it's all comes to this like preparing your journey and that Vostok is kind of like uh, I want to keep nowadays games are so accessible that there's all, all all this information is available on the net there's wikis and guides and of course if Road to Vostok becomes a big success there will be those guide and wikis but uh, as long as I can, I, I plan, I'm planning to keep Vostok side of the games totally like plaked, uh, meaning I, I don't want to show screens, but I want to provide that unique experience when you first time, first time go through there. This year there will be that public demo too in uh, quarter three, and there's going to be one more Vostok map available for that vertical slice. So I want to like. Uh, preserve that experience without showing those actual map what they're going to look like that having that like wow factor when you cross the border and you feel the music and all the tension rising and you yep. see that school icon and permanent i want to like preserve that and uh, not ruin the experience by showing all these videos and screenshots on those vostok maps but basically uh, all of those vostok maps are going to be pretty different there's going to be uh, rural areas and countryside of uh, like ruined atmosphere but in Russia there's all these like apartment buildings and old Soviet kind of like uh, things so every map is going to be pretty different and require different different kind of items and like protection if I could say. Yep. Dynamic events? Will there be um, uh, events just happening that um, aren't always there and Yes, I think these are, especially in single-player games, a big thing because the replayability kind of like depends on these dynamic and procedural things. And for example, one dynamic event, every map is going to have different dynamic events, but in that public demo one, which was, it's kind of outdated already, but it's on Steam, there was this like jet flyby in that map. And that was one dynamic event that happens. And it's linked to the game world, for example, in the end game, if you can shut down that jet, if you, for example, acquire uh, some like uh, anti-aircraft things and you shut down that jet, that jet may crash into some maps to the east and you can access that crash site. Yeah. So the, those events will be linked to different maps and, for example, one map event in that highway map which is going to be in that public demo too, is going to be that supply truck. Uh, it's going to be different times uh, of day when the truck drives through the abandoned uh, and wrecked cars on the highway. And if you destroy that truck, you can acquire some of the loot, but then the store map will not have that supply. So you're going to like dynamically ruin the economy for that store. So they're all like uh, connected to each other. What sort of size are we looking at for the uh, the map area? Uh, I think uh, the quarter one, probably one month, two months away, I'm going to update that Steam demo and show the example of the visual like uh, fidelity and the map size for all the maps. So it's going to be the double size, uh, double the size of that first demo. I think around 400 meters times 400 meters is kind mm -hmm. of like sweet spot in terms of loot and movement and having these different types of scope weapons and so on. But 
uh, double the size of the first demo map and different kind of elevations and uh, some of the maps are more wilderness-like and some of them are more like constructed areas and buildings and so on. Okay, so it's not going to be like an open sandbox. It's going to be you move between areas. Yeah, and yep. there's those, those transition points which are going to be mostly roads, paths and passages, but then there's going to be like this like special uh, transition points. For example, you can use boat, you can use some like uh, underground like these tunnels to access some of the maps. And basically the same idea as Tarkov have these extractions, but in Road to Vostok there's going to be like tr everything is transition. You are not going to extract to some menu. You're either going to your shelter or you are transi transitioning to other map. And um, just looking at the uh, the color coding here, so the further west you are, the safer it is. The closer you get to the border, the more dangerous it's going to be in each of those zones. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> and the AI is going to behave differently also. For example, in that border zone, there's these uh, guarded uh, outposts and the AI dynamic, uh, the AI system behaves more like uh, I'm a guard, I must guard this position and not let anyone through. And when you go more west, there's more of this like scavenger and uh, not that uh, kill on sight mentality. And it's kind of like the AI becomes more like thoughtful and hardcore and defensive where you when you move towards the east. Yeah. Um, so uh, Splater Pie's just written in the chat there. So it's it's going to be kind of like Stalker. Uh, if you mean like in terms of like map map yes. design and yeah, uh, yeah. Like Stalker Anomaly is pretty good example. If you take out the fantasy elements of Stalker Anomaly and then combine some Tarkov features and Daisy elements, I, I think that's quite a good comparison. With the crafting side of the game, now you've mentioned about um, being able to customize your uh, your base, so to speak. Um, what other sort of crafting um uh, elements are you looking at for the game being crafting of weapons or crafting of shelters crafting of uh, tools i think there's going to be all those things because this game yep. is going my goal is to uh, like generally create the best hardcore survival game out there and the best hardcore survival game out there needs all of this and uh, i started last month i added the weapon attachment systems uh to the game that's first iteration in terms of like crafting your weapons uh, but yes there's going to be a pretty complex crafting system for all these like survival uh, elements for the game and you can even there's going to be pretty detailed crafting stuff also for example you can make your own like fishing stuff uh, like your lures and so i'm not sure if that's, that's the right word but, but there's going to be crafting for many aspects of the game, and I don't want to implement that like common crafting thing, which is based on again sticks and rocks and <laughs> these like really ancient crafting things. I want to have a realistic take on crafting, which involves like real uh, items that we have in modern society, uh, because I I'm not sure that many of us would want to like have spears in a post-apocalyptic scenario and all, all those like. Uh, pretty ancient 
craftable things. So uh, there's going to be crafting all over the board and there's going to be food related crafting, there's going to be fishing related crafting things, weapon related, shelter related and all those things. Medical side of the game is another one that really fascinates me. It's one of the uh, uh, my big bugbears with um, DayZ in particular. Um, Scum is probably at the the other extreme of difficulty when it comes to the medical, Um, whereas Daisy, it's fairly basic. Um, Where are you sitting at with um, uh, the medical side of Road to Vostok? I would say I'm somewhere between Scum and Daisy. There's going to be pretty extensive medical system in terms of conditions. For example, basic conditions are like bleeding, fracture, rupture, and all those things. Uh, but I'm going to have this like linked system, which is based on minor and major conditions. For example, if you get a small cut, you have a minor bleeding. But then if you don't do anything that cut, it might get a minor infection. And then if you don't do anything about the minor infection, it might turn into major infection. And those may trigger other medical conditions. And the uh, idea is to like, you have to like learn to maintain like Learn to maintain uh, of not having these like chain-linked medical events, with, which turned from major, minor to major, and some of the medical conditions are like really at, you have to hurry because uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to have in Daisy and some of the games. I think the like having thirst and hunger are pretty turned way up, meaning in real life you can survive pretty long without food and yeah. it's some kind of annoying in some games that food is so like forced to you have to eat constantly and you have to drink constantly i don't want to have those kind of like specific uh, medical like forced things to you but i'm going to have different i would say there's like going to be around 20 different medical conditions some of those will be really well known and some of those will be kind of like you have to learn what that word even means, for example, hypovolemia, meaning losing a certain level of blood. That's a like real medical term. So I want to have some level of realism to that. Yep. Um, now we'll do some questions because there's been a few regarding some of the topics we've covered. Um, uh, the engine that you're using for the game, um, uh, what is it and how did you uh, decide on that one? Uh, it's Unity and the specific version is called Universal Render Pipeline. And if somebody is really into game engines, the more uh, in-depth answer is Unity URP uh, long-term support version. But Unity, why I decided that basically I've made games for over 10 years now, I have always used Unity. Unity is totally capable of delivering this kind of game. And I have thought uh, with Unity, I have all these custom tools for Unity. And basically, that's like a hand extension for me. So there's no reason to get any game engines. And this whole Unity Unreal topic is so kind of like misunderstood because it's just a tool. If some Unity developer is really capable, he can make those tools for himself that the project needs. So Unity is kind of like uh, was the obvious choice for me. Yep. Um, Would there be load screens between the areas or is it hidden? Um, someone else um, expanding on that, um, or will you be able to travel by walking between the um, different uh, uh, main areas of uh, each zone? I think the first iteration will have loading screens, but they are going to 
be pretty pretty quick, so only a couple of seconds of loading. But I have also prepared this like scene loading system, which is based on this async operations, meaning asynchronous, and it it can handle like uh, on demand loading, meaning you don't have to be in the loading screen. It can make that loading behind the scenes and provide it to you once you have transitioned. But that's going to require some different elements to map design in order to pull that off smoothly. So the first iteration will have loading screens, but I think those loading screens can be uh, dismissed when the project get, gets more likes uh, further down along the lines. Uh, Beans asks, I know the lore of this game is going to be told via environmental storytelling, but will this contribute to an overarching story or will the lore only extend to isolated and differing stories? Uh, if I understand the question correctly, uh, there is not going to be this like big red line that is going to be the main storyline yeah. for the game. For example, in Stalker, you, the main storyline is to like get to the uh, nuclear facility. But in Road to Vostok, I want the base gameplay is going to be like sandbox, but there's all all kinds of like small quests that uh, indeed are those environmental things that you can learn and. Uh, there's different narratives to different groups of characters. Uh, also in the Vostok side, there's kind of like specific group of characters. So I would say it's something like in the Stalker, uh, there's small, small quests and like minor storylines and missions, but I'm not going to have this like winning condition mm -hmm. in terms of the main storyline of the game. game. There's no, there's no real end game to this. It's just uh, a continuous, ongoing survival. Yeah, I, I think the character progression, loot progression, and the shelter customization, if that is done correctly, that should be enough for that end game so you can tailor that winning condition by yourself. Yep. Um, in terms of the UI regarding the crafting system, King Rich asks... Um, would it be a simple click and craft from a menu or something along the lines of a fully emanated process of crafting the selected item? I recently updated the whole inventory system to this like multi-tile inventory, uh, Tetris style inventory where you can rotate and move items along the grid. So I'm going to utilize that system for that crafting uh, thing. And it's going to be basically the first iteration uh, something along the lines that you have a specific grid of like crafting space and when you track and rotate different items to that crafting space uh, you can craft those items in that space so it's not going to be one click craft this it's going to be more of like pull different items to this specific uh, grid and then you have the options to craft different things so just to expand on that a bit more because um, crafting is something that i absolutely love in the games um, daisies is probably one of the most basic have one item to get another combine them together get something new um, scum on the other hand um, has if the items are in your vicinity you can um, craft it but it also um, which i think is a much better system but it also makes it a bit easy in that you can easily see what um, items you need to make something how is it going to work with um, road to vostok is it going to be um, quite intuitive, or are we going to be able to, you know, one, one of the uh, good things with DayZ is, um, especially when you first start the game, once you know the game, you really, 
you, you, there's no challenge to the crafting anymore because you know pretty much what everything does. You know, combine a stick and a rag and you get a splint. And is this going to be a lot of experimentation? What happens if I drag this on? Oh, wow, that does that. That's, that sort of thing is what I mean. I think the like ultimate goal would be like to have this intuitive system, which is based on real life. For example, if something, some item is sharp, it should cut through fabric and so on. And this multi-tile inventory system supports having like uh, like big combos of crafting things. So it's not just one item combined with another item. You can, for example, use four different items for specific craft tasks if that is required. Uh, for example, some mechanical yep. crafting would need more than two items. But I, basically, if you want to know, in the game the world, these are called like recipes. And uh, each crafting recipe, is, it's basically totally modular. You can just drag and drop different item combinations and to output, it's that craftable item. And there's no limit, in my system at least, uh, for how many items you have to use in specific. But... Uh, in terms of intuition for crafting, that's going to need a big item database. Because if you have only like small small number of items in the game, then the intuition kind of breaks because you don't have enough items for that intuitive gameplay. So I think it it's going to take for a while before this project get to the state where I can say that use your intuition. But before that, I think more simpler upload, approach mm -hmm. Uh, more basic crafting recipes are needed before I have that large item database. Yep. And it's still early days, and um, I imagine uh, you'll um, uh, be taking a bit of inspiration from how the community reacts to that sort of stuff. So um, that's, that's really good to hear. Uh, Henry Lane has uh, the all-important question. Any um, information on hardware requirements? This game is fairly optimized in terms of rendering because the whole premise of the visual style is kind of like inspired from this old Daisy original mod and Stalker franchise. So I don't use any PPR rendering and there's no uh, like expensive uh, visual tricks for the game. So it's kind of bare bones in terms of the rendering side. It's, it's going to be pretty optimized. And I would say something like NVIDIA uh, 1060 is more than enough to play the game with 60 FPS and uh, there's going to be most games only provide you like really uh, surface level options for optimizing your gameplay but I'm going to because the nature elements are the most uh, consuming things mm -hmm. in most of the survival games. All the trees and grass have so many uh, polygons and they are overlapping in terms of geometry, so there's overdrawn and all these things. So, uh, having to pro uh, I want to provide like full set of optimi optimization uh, tools for you to like ease that rendering even more. So, I would say this game is going to be pretty performant for all hardware. Okay, I think you know the majority of people um, uh, are probably on around about that um, ten sixty um, or above. Um, in most cases, not all. I know there'll probably be some who are still holding on, but yeah, that that's that's a, that's pretty good uh, information to know. Um, so you don't need to have the latest forty series to be able to play like some no. games are expecting. No. That's good. Um, 
uh, B has, uh, so with the Unity engine, you said you could um, snowboard. Could you configure like desert environments with sandstorms, jung jungles for their thickness, or even ocean water environments with full underwater travel? Uh, sorry, could you repeat that question again? Uh, so with the Unity engine, you said you could um, snow, uh, but could you configure like desert environments with sandstorms? Uh, basically, I'm, I'm guessing uh, the uh, origin of the question is, are you thinking beyond Road to Vostok to creating uh, similar games in different uh, bio um, uh, areas? Okay, I, I get it now. Uh, so uh, Road to Vostok is basically... In game industry, I'm going to take a kind of like long way to answer this if, if that's, that's on mind. But uh, in game industry, there's games are like made in cycles. Each studio basically have this pre-production, production, post-production, post and then most of the studios continue to another game. Yep. And the original game gets pretty abandoned and desolated. Road to Vostok is not going to have any any of that. I have already named my company to Road to Vostok. I'm not going anywhere. I have no interest of making any other <laughs> yeah. games, any other biomes, because if I want to make the best hardcore survival game out there, I have to have that discipline and mentality that I'm going to stick with this thing. Because most of these games, they, they, they have huge potential, but that potential is never reached. And survival genre has definitely suffered, uh, like had had this mentality unfortunately there have been so many games that have shown that potential but in the long run they have been abandoned or the promise hasn't been filled so even if i could make those desert environments and there could be other projects i'm not going to do that road to vostok is going to be main game for my whole career that i'm going to build so far that i can like genuinely say that this is the best survival best hardcore survival game in the market and that w requires me to like stick with this project. But in, in terms of like development tools, I have all these uh, custom-made tools for this game, all these nature's partners and the uh, terrain systems which support snow and different like uh, projections, whether it's sand, snow, dust and all those things. So basically I could do those, but I'm not going to because the environments are based in real-life abandoned locations yep. and there's no <laughs> deserts or sandstorms or jungles. Okay, no, I respect that. That's good. Um, but in, in terms of water and underwater, I actually implemented those uh, last month. So you can now go to the water and dive and you lose oxygen and all those are implemented now. And I imagine that's going to be very risky because I imagine the water up there is absolutely freezing pretty much all year round. So, yeah, I would say swim at your own risk. <laughs> um. There was a question, um, are there going to be different versions of the game? Um, uh, and I asked uh, No Hack IP Band for an explanation on that. Um, and what he was talking about was uh, maybe a deluxe edition or a standard edition. And if so, what will be the differences between the different um, uh, versions of the game we can purchase when it's full release? Uh, I'm going to keep things really simple and straightforward. There's, there's only going to be two types of like packages you can buy. There's the base version you get everything and there's the support supporter version which is a little bit expensive but you get the same stuff but you can support me uh, with a little higher price point if you want uh, maybe i, I add like some original soundtrack but something but there's not going to be any dlc's microtransactions nothing that like affects the base price point and uh, i'm i'm pretty 
confident that there's not going to be any changes to this and this is kind of been my main thing from the get-go that there's the pricing model and monetization is pretty totally straightforward and transparent there's no like hidden agendas to this so if you buy road to vostok you get road to vostok and that's it look i i applaud you for the uh no micro transactions i think 99% of gamers have had it up to here with bloody microtransactions. Um, as for DLCs, um, I would ask you, um, and um, chat, feel free to roast me if you want, um, but I would ask you not to rule it out um, because, you know, you just you just never know what um, is going to be the financial situation in five years from now, and you may need to do a DLC to continue to get funding to continue supporting the game. Um, so yeah, a DLC if done right, I think everyone can get behind. Microtransactions, um, EA and all those other companies, they can stick them where they are, where the sun doesn't shine. But yeah, don't rule out a good DLC uh, because you may need to, and we may want you to. Um, so yeah, but I, I really appreciate the fact that you're just making a game uh, that. You know, it doesn't require us to buy a season pass or special skins and all the rest of it because there's just too much of that. Yeah, yeah. I think you're winning over most of the um, people in chat with your opinion on that. Yeah, I, I think there's no other way of doing this than than this way. And in terms of DLCs, this is all tied to like financial planning of the production. And because I'm I'm doing like 99% of the things for my totally by myself. For example. Yeah. I, I can give some specific examples, for example, yesterday. Yesterday I was doing new character arm models for the uh, game and I needed some uh, like jacket sleeve textures for the game. So I went to the local flea market, I bought the like 50 cent uh, jacket, I used scissors and cut the like sleeve part of it, I photographed it with my spot smartphone and added to the game and this whole like <laughs> one new asset cost me 50 cent and all this production is all about controlling that burn rate and because i have done all of these things by myself the burn rate of road to vostok is super low compared to like having a real theme behind this and if you have a real theme and uh, i'm not saying that i'm not going to have freelancers and so on in the future but if i would have fancy offices and big budget production then i i'm i wouldn't be so uh, confident about the dlc thing because now i can know that if this game succeeds in commercially there's no like real expenses for me in terms of like i need to make this much in order to compensate all this like financial efforts for this game so it's a like uh, this decision to do these things by myself isn't for my ego or something. It's also for these reasons that the burn rate is so low that I can manage this project in the long run without having those micro microtransactions or paid DLCs or anything. Okay. That was kind of like confusing explanation, but hopefully you understand what I meant. No, 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 that does. Um, I have a personal question. Um is this man going to feature in an Easter egg somewhere in the game? Uh, who, who, man? Uh, the, the, I've just shared the screen. Um, so if you click on who I'm streaming, um, but Simho uh, Haya, uh, the White Death. I'm the actually uh, not seeing the... 
Ah, okay. Now I mean, you mean yes. Simo have, huh? Yes. <laughs> not, not because this game is realistic. So uh, I'm unfortunately he he can't be in the current ah. lore of the game. But but maybe there's some legacy or heritage of him. So yeah, but like yeah. an Easter egg of some sort. I, I think, I think yeah. it'd be a crying shame for a Finnish um, ex-military person yeah. designing a game set in Finland not to have an Easter egg honoring. Um, probably the most famous uh, Finnish soldier of all time that I can think of. Yeah, one one main thing for these like nation nationality things is that uh, even though this game takes place in Finnish-Russian border zone and all the places are based in real life abandoned locations, I don't want to like force you to these like shoes that you are now this Finnish uh, protagonist or something, and you have to like play yeah. as a Finnish character. I want this game to be totally open to any any countries that you play in and I, I don't want to force this narrative to you that you are in this, this different uh, nation and you play this character. Uh, there's going to be lots of Finnish things and lots of Rus- Russian things but uh, I'm not going to force those things to you. Look, Daisy's done that pretty well. Um, yeah, not many um, people when they're playing Daisy um, immediately think that they're Cherner Russian um, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, they're just a survivor who somehow ended up there. Um, so that's not, I don't think that's um, uh, anything that most people would be worried about either way. Um, do you have any indication of how much you're looking at for the cost of the game so far? Zada asks. Yeah, uh, the base early access version, these are totally transparent numbers and they are also on the website. It's going to be uh, $10 for the early access and the supporter version uh, will be $20 for the early action. Same game, you get the, exactly the same thing. And for the full release, the base price will be $20 and the supporter version will be 30 or $40. Yep. But $10 for the early access, $20 for the full release. And no okay. other transactions on top of that. That sounds very reasonable. Uh, Splatoon Pie does say um, that, you know, and again, I, I actually agree with uh, Splatoon Pie. A DLC for a cosmetics pack could be nice, or rather extra content. You know, uh, I've, I've always never really had an issue with if it's purely cosmetic um, and it doesn't change, you know. Um, the actual um, gameplay too much. Um, but again, being a single-player game, um, I don't think that's um, as, as big of an issue as it is with multiplayers. Um, but, you know, if, if needed, that could be a great way to enable us to uh, provide support down the line for the project. Um, if I must say one, one, one thing related to DLCs. DLCs is basically like self-life extensions uh, to games. And these are related to projects that are like in cycles before the studios head to more other projects they might do these dlcs but like mentioned i'm not going to go anywhere so it's there's no reason for me to like uh, use this word dlc because they are just updates for me i'm going to update and patch the game uh, until it's the best hardcore survival game on the market so there's not going to be dlcs in road to vostok they are going to be just updates towards that goal which is the best hardcore survival game uh, Beans asks, how many languages are going to be available on launch? That's actually a question that I haven't considered that much. I have, have had lots of emails related to localizations and languages, but uh, I, I answered this that it depends if there's some help uh, in terms of like, I don't have to do these things <laughs> by myself. 
So I'm guessing all the like basic that you would get in any any game. I, I think those would be pretty easy to figure out. But uh, I haven't, to be honest, uh, developed these systems now uh, in that sense that they support multiple languages. I'm just uh, focusing on the progression. And once I hit that point when I have to figure out these language things, then I might consider. But in terms of like voiceovers and the main uh, audio elements of the game world, there be, there will be Finnish, English, and uh, Russian voiceovers. Yeah. But in the text and UI, I think supporting as much of languages as possible, if there's help, is totally doable. So basically, if you've got any experience in that sort of stuff, folks, um, send Dante an email, um, and um, he might be able to work something out with you. Um, but yeah, that's great. Um, B asks, uh, and this is a good question, how in-depth are the gun attachment systems um, going to be? So um, basically on one extreme, you've got, you know, the gun porn of Escape from Tarkov, where they go into, you know, basically the, the type of screws you're using to hold the weapon together. And then you've got the more conservative like Daisy or PUBG, where it's a simple click and drag system. I would say it's, again, between Daisy and Tarkov and these things will be implemented in layers. So, for example, in order to keep with this progression that I have currently, uh, the f I'm, I'm doing things in an iterative way. The first iteration is pretty simple. You can only change the optics, the muscle, and the magazine, and it's now implemented to the game. On the next iteration, you can say change the uh, uh, under rail uh, or the handguard. You can change the stock, and then it's pretty much on par with Daisy's customers. Session. But I'm going to uh, take things a little further from that and have some of those Tarkov elements and canted sites and all those things, but I don't want to take uh, that so far uh, when it would be all about the guns and the modding, uh, the environment and the border zone and the Vostok is the main selling point of this game. I will have quite extensive, extensive weapons modding system, but not as extensive as Tarkov. I don't want to like uh, have to. You have to know all these different rails and yep. uh, connections to different attachments. Uh, I'm more, more, more or less towards Daisy, but still uh, somewhere between Daisy and Tarkov would be my answer. At its core, regardless of all the um, you know, exploring, looting. Um, crafting uh, medical sides of the game, it's going to be a shooter. Uh, and as an ex-military person yourself, um, <clears throat> you're probably like me in that I, I do sometimes, and I'm guilty of uh, sometimes wanting too much realism. Um, the games you've played in the past, um, I'm assuming you've played Escape from Tarkov, um, you've said you played Daisy and Armour, um, uh, it sounds like you played Scum as well. What's been some of the things that have annoyed you the most when it comes to the way the weapons handle in, in PvP, in the combat? Um, and what um, are you trying to implement to make your game stand out or improve on any of those issues that you've seen with uh, the, that all-critical uh, aspect of, um, uh, of most of these shooter games? You, know, you can go too far with it, um, but... Yeah, pretty much all games. Like, there's a big, bigger uh, conversation in DayZ at the moment about the way uh, the lack of weapon inertia. Um, yeah, you see some videos of there's a there's a very skilled PVPer from Poland called Toprek, and the guy treats a Mosin like it's a pistol. He's able to just whip it up and you know one tap a person. And if you've ever shot a long rifle, 
you know that that's not really possible. Um, you know, the Mosin in particular is quite a cumbersome beast, um, and you know, she takes a while to get steady in that. Um, what What are your thoughts on that, and what are you uh, looking at with the game so far, um, and with your end goal with that? I think one of the main elements of this is like the weapon weight and the weapon stats that uh, are linked to the attachments and how many things you are putting to your weapon because everyone who has a weapon experience knows that holding a weapon up in a high ready position for specific time is pretty rough and it's going to affect your hands pretty significantly and affect your aiming and weapons when all that and most of the games are pretty uh, easy in terms of yes. like keeping weapon up. And that's one element that I wanted to implement from the start. That you have to lower your weapon and you have to like uh, get used to this mouse scroll thing that whenever you are not aiming somebody, you should remember to lower your weapon in order to save that arm stamina. Those values in my demo and that are totally unbalanced yet because there's no reason to balance things this yep. early because the things are changing constantly. But I think the weapon weight and the inertia is definitely something that I can get to pretty realistic levels. And uh, in terms of my background and knowledge about weapons, I'm uh, totally honestly I have mentioned that I have I, I don't know all these things yet for example in my military background I have only used like AK variants and these eastern types of weapons I don't have that much experience with um, like w- more NATO weaponry but whenever I knew that I have this like hole in my knowledge that this game needs this knowledge uh, I contacted uh, couple of guys who are like really experts with weapons i i have been in the range days with them and slowly i'm gaining that experience that i can work with weapons and all these like nuances to weapons that i can make these realistic things in the future but the main main like issue now is that even though i i know exactly what i would have to code and do in order to implement those things i have to have the discipline that i'm not diving fully just only weapon yep. stuff because there's only just me and the progression of the game would die instantly if I would be only the weapon guy. So I have to like hold myself back in terms of like, no, auntie, you can not do this much weapons now. You have to do something else. And it's all about the balance act and iteration. But I, I think compared to the first demo, when I update this uh, version 2 demo uh, somewhere a couple of months from now, I think the weapon handling is already much more realistic. I have add arms, IK, the bones move now dynamically, the wrist uh, movement is more dynamic, dynamically, and uh, I think it's getting better over time, and it's just a matter of like maintaining that discipline that I have to mo- work with multiple areas. But I would say that uh, the inertia and the weapon weight will be pretty realistic in this game. Have you given any thought to um, uh, modding uh, support for the game? Um, and if so, um, what's going to be the um, uh, options available to people? Are they going to be able to create their um, own custom uh, maps, for example? Or is it just going to be more cosmetic or adding different weapons or no modding um, support at all? The, this topic is kind of like really hits home for me because uh, I'm a big fan of Stalker and like you probably know Stalker has pretty much 
uh, being alive thanks to modding communities. Yeah. And, and Daisy also. Armor. Yeah. 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 And I only see that modding is only, it can provide positive things. I, I don't see any negatives related to modding. And many of tools that I have already designed for myself, I have already like put a little bit thought to the design process that would this be useful to modders also. And in terms of like uh, assets and all, I already open so some of the visual assets and I'm going to continue that like mentality because if I want to make this vision that I'm making here, I think having like really in-depth modding toolkit and like uh, open environment for people to add their own stuff and iterate different features is is really it only increases the replayability of the project. Auntie, so far you are saying all the right things for uh, gamers to love you uh, more and more. Uh, yeah, no microtransactions. Um, uh, yeah, you're not a fan of um, adding uh, DLCs that people have to buy, um, and you're uh, fully supporting modding. Um, yeah, keep this up, and we're going to be um, raising statues um, in your memory um, in the near future because you're ticking all the boxes for me and a lot of people, I think. And I, I think these boxes are really like, if you use common sense, I, I think all the developers knows that these are the boxes that you should tick, but major productions can't ever tick these boxes because there are all these like financial barriers and restrictions. But this project has been designed specifically to tick these boxes. All the financial side of things, all how I operate in terms of pre-production and production, uh, the whole thing has been planned in order so I can tick these boxes. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's definitely something that I want to pursue. And when I ship the game, uh, I, I don't want that these are like typical marketing words that I want to like hype that the game is going to do all this cool stuff, but I'm actually going to do this. Have, have you been happy with the reception from the community so far? Like I, I've, I've watched quite a few videos on... Um, yeah, and I did a bit of research before this, and you know, one guy in particular, I was quite surprised. Um, uh, Big Fry, you've probably heard of, um, yep. and he's usually incredibly critical of games. And when I saw his trailer for your one, and he was like, "This game looks pretty good," I was like, "Damn! If if you've got Big Fry um, bigging you up, you're doing something right." Um, well, what's been your reaction to the pretty much overwhelmingly positive? Uh, commentary from the community out there about your game uh, kind of at the same time i'm kind of surprised and still i kind of understand why people might uh, feel those positive things about this project firstly if i like uh, explain that why i'm surprised if you think about the post-apocalyptic post early access survival game genre that's pretty rough uh, to get into because yeah. there's have been so much vaporware and empty promises that I would be skeptical no matter who's the developer no matter what kind of team uh, I have been burned so many times and the rock has been pulled under me so I would be extremely cautious about any games and I can even say this to my project when I first released the first devlog I would be skeptical skeptical yeah. especially if there's one guy doing it can can he do the thing that most of the guys don't have the skills to do so I totally get if somebody is uh, really skeptical about this and 
how I want to like handle this skepticism is through those public demos, which are going to be totally free. Everything is totally transparent and I'm not going to ask any money until the game is at that stage that I can like genuinely say that this is worth the price and this has fulfilled the promises that I have said. Until that, I'm not going to ask any money. And if you want to support me, there's the Patreon, but there's no other incentives than that. But I'll, in terms like of that. the support, uh, it has been totally awesome. Uh, the subscribers and the following has been kind of mind-blowing and I have had some <laughs> actually issues at some point because even though I have this military background, I have never had the experience of this publicity before. And <laughs> it's kind of like you have to learn different skills in order to handle this. For example, my email has totally kind of like ruined my product, product, productivity in some cases. If you have hundreds of emails per day, you have to learn the tools in order to handle that inbox. Uh, and in terms of like handling different comments, because if you have the knowledge and the skill, you would like to counter and argue with somebody, but you have to like step back and know that this is this is not the fight you want to get into. And I'm I'm more of a guy that want to like in, instead of talking and arguing, I want to show and like experience it yourself and like speak speak through the project. And but the support has been great and. It's definitely a motiv motivational factor, and it's awesome that there are people who are interested in this type of game. Um, you, you did explain to me um, in the conversation we had leading up to this one, uh, but probably on that um, topic, um, a good segue into, um, I asked if you have a Discord. Um, would you like to tell everyone why you don't have a Discord set up yet? Yeah, sure. Uh, having a Discord might be something that would affect my productivity in the sense that it might be a distraction. Uh, and also in that sense that I haven't never managed a Discord that hosts probably thousands of people. So I, I am not even aware of what kind of distractions that would bring to me. Uh, so I'm kind of like weighing the plus and the co uh, like positives and negatives. And currently... Uh, the project is progressing so well and all the things are showing like positive numbers and it's going well so it's basically the question is why would i want to risk that yeah what do i gain by having this big discord i i understand that discord is like the home for the community but as long as there's just me that community would there's a risk that it would affect the development in a negative way yep in those production speed and Yep, totally understand. I think um, I think there'd be a lot of people who'd be willing to put their hand up um, to help you manage one, um, but I totally understand um, your reluctance to get into one, especially at this early stage when you've got more important things to be um, uh, worried about with the, uh, you know, the development of the game, getting it ready for release. Um, and I also think that having Discord is, would be ideal in in that point of the project when yeah. there's a lot of gameplay stuff to discuss about. So one demo on the Steam isn't enough to like hold these like ongoing discussions about the game and content creation. But after that public demo two or ne near towards the early access, then there's a lot of more gameplay available and content to discuss about. So I think the uh, timeline is not, it not, it's not now uh, a good for the Discord. I like what uh, Beans just wrote in um, chat there. Don't start a Discord. You will lose your sanity. 
Um, unfortunately, Beans, he already has a Twitter, so like most of us, he's probably losing his sanity um, just being on Twitter. Right. Uh, but yeah, um, no hack IP ban asks um, how heavy in the gore is the gore in the game? Can you shoot body parts off or um, or is it yeah? Uh, I would say it's pretty pretty uh, toned down in in sense of like there's not going to, it's not going to be a horror game or not like super violent game, but there's going to be all the basic elements, the plot decals and I, I think one like core element that's is the best way for these type of games is some kind of like good animation and ragdoll system that really displays the like suffering when you get shot. And I think that's more compelling in a realistic survival game than having like dismemberment and all these like uh, pretty rough core elements. I much rather have really on point ragdoll system and animation system for specific hitboxes and really nailing that shooting experience that feels it sounds kind of weird when we when we are talking in this context but satisfying when you shot somebody in the video game that's a specific skill set that you need to acquire for the developer to make that satisfaction shooting experience and i i think i'm going to prioritize that over making those core elements um i apologize if i've missed it but is there going to be soft skills in the game that you get better at, or is it pretty much going to be so basically like what Scum has um, with the soft skills that as you do something you start to get better and better at it, or is it going to be more like Daisy where no, there's no soft skills. It just depends on your personal um, skill as a player. Uh, this is actually one topic that I'm I'm still kind of it's on the design board, but because at the first I kind of like levitated towards the uh, I would say project zomboid kind of thing that you have to like you have weaponry skills, melee skills, and survival skills, and all those different kind of like slots where which can have points and you can acquire more skills. But then when I have worked for this game for now nearly two years i have actually now kind of like moved towards that the skills should be like in game meaning the recall skills should be that you the actual skill is to like learning to counter uh balance that recall with your mouse not just some arbitrary number skill and i think this type of game the only skill that i'm already kind of like locked in into is one that is re- related to trading and bartering which is that store map will is going to have that in-game uh, trader and there's going to be some skills to that but other than that i'm currently not into making different weapon points or something like that i want to implement the features that are more like gameplay skills than some numbers okay that's good um, Beans asks, um, from what I've seen, oh, sorry, uh, uh, no, Minute Man was just saying, uh, if everything is going according to your plan, don't change it. The game is more important. Don't worry about Discord or other distractions. So, yeah, and I said, I totally agree. Um, Beans asks, from what I've seen of the AI, the basics are really impressive, but when you get the time, will you add more advanced features like ready or not with surrendering, taking cover, suppressing fire, etc.? Um, on that, um, I want to add to it. Um, because it was something I was thinking about before um, when you were talking about the combat and the ragdoll system. Um, what if you injure 
the AI? Will they um, potentially offer to surrender um, or... Um, you know, will there be a vocal, um, you know, you'll hear them um, screaming in pain or anything like that? And can you, you know, offer them uh, the chance to, you know, if you, you, if you surrender, um, is there going to be any dialogue uh, like that with the um, hostile AI? Yes, definitely. And exactly those things that you mentioned, those suffering and vo getting hurt and all this different kind of ragdoll stuff is it's definitely on the line, but in terms of like AI systems and the brain of the AI, uh, I would say that I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how the stalker does it, but it has this thing called A-Life, which kind of like works in a way that each AI agent is totally independent and they can roam, roam the game world mm -hmm. whenever they want. They can do different kind of tasks and this creates and situation where the player feels that he's no longer the center point of the game world. He's just one survivor scavenging and roaming along with the others. And I like really this mentality that you are not the hero of this story. Nobody cares about you because we have those like games so many, <laughs> so much in the market where you are the center point and yeah. you're like the main hero of this story. I don't want to do anything like that. I much rather have an AI that is totally independent and really uh, like advanced features to it. So you can have that feeling that I'm just one guy in this world and this world is constantly moving and dynamic because single player games, it's kind of like make or break feature because if the AI is totally dumb and soulless in a single player game, the replayability dies pretty quickly. So uh, yes, there's going to be more advanced features in the future. Okay. With the um, actual combat side of it, how brutal is the um, damage going to be um, in that, you know, you could be insta-killed at any moment or is it going to be a bit more forgiving? Um, you know, obviously, um, some of that will come down to, um, I'm guessing there's going to be armour you could have in the game. Um, so are you leaning more towards... Like, I saw, to, to, to flesh that out for people, I still remember the very first time I played Operation Flashpoint um, and I was treating it just like I, um, I was playing a Call of Duty game. Um, and I heard one shot and my character was dead. And I sat there just going, what just happened? Did, did I just get, what, what, why did I die so quickly? And it took me you know, a few days to realize that this game is not like anything I'd ever played before in that it, it was, it, it started my whole journey, which ended up with me playing DayZ, um, you know, searching for games that were more than just, you know, um, putting in the, the plate four um, or level four plate armor and um, tanking, you know, a hundred rounds before your character even starts to um, look like he's about to die to these games where you've really got to think about tactics more. Um, if you want to be able to survive, where where are you at the moment with the the, the damage um, system for the game with the on the player? Uh, when you have a permanent game, I think one shot kill is a no no because that's unfair. When uh, even though the situation is kind of like you were in the open spot, I think killing with one bullet to the head in a permanent game is kind of like. Uh, whenever it's a single player game, it's kind of like annoying because there's no real like uh, you have to have some like level of I can even do something about the situation. So yeah. having that medical system 
and also now I have implemented like the character preview and a clothing system so you can wear different rigs, clothing and protective stuff. Uh, I want that they have some impact on the game. Uh, but in terms of like how many bullets can you consume before you die, I'm going to keep that pretty realistic and uh, more of a so that if you get shot, I want that it has an impact for you like total character. The movement should be kind of like you might have some adrenaline rush so you may not see those effects immediately so you can like uh, sprint to hide or something because I think even Tarkov which is like really realistic uh, does this kind of silly <laughs> to be honest because most of games if you get shot your stamina is kind of like drained and you're like paralyzed but in real life if you get shot, shot to some non-critical part of your body you may actually even noticed it at first because you're such an adrenaline rush and there's all these like elements that's why soldiers uh, sometimes have to like uh, check for each other if there's holes and something because one shot shouldn't like paralyze you totally if you have body armor so I'm, I'm going to keep this kind of like uh, it's effective you in multiple areas, but they are like long-term effects which can like have the chain link stuff like I mentioned with the medical so if that you have minor and major medical conditions. But in terms of like if you get shot multiple times, that's pretty much game over then. So not anything arcadey like Call of Duty or something. Yep. Pretty realistic, but not immediately paralyzing stuff. I, I think um, because it's an AI um, enemy as well, if you were talking about player versus player, um, I, I really have no issue with it because it comes down to, you know, how good of a player you are versus another human player. But when you're dealing with AI, um, yeah, I, I, I do agree and support with your decision there. Um, Negeted um, asks, what about um, ballistics and bullet penetration, shooting through planks, sheet metal, thin walls, difference between calibers, etc.? Um, have you given any thought to that? Yes, I have actually shown some uh, bullet penetration clips already in some of my videos and that system is totally ready, but I disabled it because uh, there's so much new assets coming each month and different parameters with weapons, so it's like constantly trying to balance that stuff with the new features. So I disabled it, those ballistic stuff uh, for a while, and once the game is in a state that there's not that much changing in every month in terms of environments, then I uh, apply those ballistics back so I don't have to like run with that system constantly. Yeah. Uh, but yes, there's going to be all this like uh, it's going to affect the voice of the impact shock, the particle effect will be different, uh, the penetration amount will be different, uh, all those things will be in the game. Uh, Beans asks, um, how devastating will suppression be? Um, will that be something that you can actually do to um, uh, the AI and will they react accordingly? Uh, yes. Uh, it, I, I, especially I'm, I'm wanting to implement these like ambush-like situations where you're being pretty badly ambushed if you, because the, uh, the name Road to Vostok is all about choosing your road yep. for that permanent zone and some of those road will let you pretty uh, interesting situations. And if you uh, handle those situations poorly, you might get ambushed in some of the like crossing points or something, and then you screwed, and you will be suppressed pretty hardly. And I, I want to, the main ele element of what I'm trying to say, I want to implement both ways 
this like mentality mentality where you can say no this fight is not for me i'm not yep. prepared okay. and you can return turn back that's basically the whole main main thing for this sentence um now i'm guessing the name is uh captain chaos um captaini chaos um i'll have to get you to translate that for us um if you could um and then tell us uh what the answer to the question is yeah it's basically said he had uh, one input related bug where the character like kind of like kept bubbling all around and this was this like input vector issue and yes uh, he asked is it fixed now and yes it is it will be updated in the public demo version 2 excellent excellent um b we'll come back to that one when we're closing up um because uh, it's not really uh related to road to vostok but i think it is quite interesting uh, but we'll save that for the, um at the end <clears throat> um Moving target. Uh, will the game have animals to hunt for food? Maybe fishing feature for more survival gameplay. Uh, fishing will be. I actually implemented the first fishing mechanics last week, and they will be extended next week, and they will be playable in the public demo one version two. And these will involve different types of fishing you can use, like. Actually, I don't know what they are called in English, but there's different types of fishing available. And in terms of hunting, I, I think those are in the future implemented because there's uh, going to be a lot of AI-related things to that. So I don't want to deal those now. But uh, yes, there will be some hunting-related things, but not much. I, I, I want to keep that in a way that the food is pretty scarce and the environment that is within the border zone and Vostok, I think not many animals want to live there either. Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, like hunting, fishing thing will be more relevant on those area of five maps. Okay. Um, cunning linguist, um, uh, how heavy will the looting, crafting, base building aspects be? We sort of touched on that before, uh, Cunning, um, in that um, a lot of that's still in um, development, uh, but I'll let you um, just touch on that again, uh, Auntie. Yeah, I, I basically want the looting will be, I want to really like fix all the main mistakes that I have seen from survival games, uh, meaning I, I want to really make. I would say I want to make the best looting experience in any survival game, and I think I have the like basic tools already developed for that, but I, I need tons of items and I need tons of environments before you can see that looting thing in full scale. But I actually made a full devlog about, I compared to Daisy, how I want to add this like really dynamic stuff and uh, not static loot spawns and all this. Uh, that's already covered some of these aspects, but uh, I want to make one of the best looting uh, systems in survival games. Uh, in terms of like uh, base building, I would I would say that the goal is to have a system that you can say that this is my home, you, that you can customize really some place or environment and decorate it so it feels like I, I live here. Most of the games yeah. only provide these wooden shacks and static concrete block so they are like not really your home i want to in road to vostok that you can really customize your shelter in yeah. a realistic manner look i i am um 
Uh, I, I really suck at PvP. I used to be okay, but as I'm getting older, um, I'm losing the edge. But one thing I take great pride in is being the best damn base bitch that any group could have, and I love to have a nice base. I love to have it organized and you know, good cupboard shelters, whatever else I can build. So the more on that side of things, the happier um, I'm going to be, and I'm sure there's other people like me, but, yeah, I, I will cry when um, I die in the uh, red zone and lose everything and have to start all over again. But that's just more motivation to get back in and start again because I, I love bases. I, I really enjoy having a nice base to go back to after you've been out on a scavenge run and all the rest of it. But, yeah, that's great. Um, and I think one sub-feature sub also that really complements this system is that I have already implemented this container system, which is based on that anything in the game world that looks like it ha can hold stuff can actually, it's lootable. And yeah. on top of this, there's this like uh, item placement system that I think is really, really important for survival games, because when you have these shelters... Uh, in Road to Vostok, you can actually place your items whenever you want. want. Same as in Long Dark, you can rotate your weapons, yeah. put them on the table. You can really do this like prepper thing. You can have different kind of, kind of medical items lined up in different ta tables, and you can have these weapon walls if you want. And all this like customization in order to feel that uh, this is like my my shelter. Um. Will there be a kind of cleaning uh, mechanics? Because I know in like Metro, when you get in mud and dirt and stuff, like clean it off with uh, chemicals, is this going to be something like that? So um, I'm guessing you're talking more about a hygiene sort of thing there, B. Um, is that something that your players going to have to be aware of, their personal hygiene? Will that affect their medical status at all? Yes. Uh, there's going to be like conditions to different things. There are going to be like... Uh, consumable-based conditions, there's going to be weapon-related conditions, yep. uh, and there's all this me medical stuff that are linked to these things. And yes, you have to keep uh, some things uh, clean in order to avoid those like chain-link events on your medical system. And also in weapons, even though the question wasn't about weapons, uh, I'm going to have kind of similar system like in Stalker Anomaly, where you have different weapon conditions and you have to like maintain those. And I think uh, there's a way to make this in a way that it's not it it doesn't feel like a chore but it still kind of like fits well in the game loop and it's not annoying because badly implemented like weapon conditions is really uh, annoying if the weapon jams totally unrealistically and there's no way for you to handle it and it's totally randomized so I'm going to implement some sort of like condition system to most of the game uh, items. That's awesome. I, I, I like that. Um, Beans is asking, will you be able to point shoot? Yes, you can actually do it already. It was implemented two weeks ago. Excellent. That answers that one. Um, uh, Halil Braho, <coughs> pardon me. Uh, will there be a game mechanic where guns can break or get stuck during the fight, maybe maintaining them like cleaning the guns, changing the damaged parts? Now, I'll elaborate on that one a bit. Um, one of the frustrations I have with DayZ is pretty much there's only one jam. Um, one of the things I love about Scum is there's a variety of ways that your weapon can um, uh, fail on you. Um, and is that something you're looking at or are you going to keep it a bit more simplistic? 
Uh, there's going to be multiple ways the weapon can malfunction and I already implemented the arm IK system which supports that you can rotate your weapon in different perspectives and I want to implement all those in 3D so there's no UI element or, or this so you can actually rotate your weapon and inspect in front of you and see if the like uh, slide is jammed, there's a like cartridge jammed in there or yeah. there's different kind of like magazine related uh, I don't know how to say it in English, but different kind of malfunction, malfunctions that could be inspected in 3D. Um, <clears throat> Zadar is asking, do you have a set spawn point or can you move the spawn point in area um, 5? Uh, so is there a set map or mini-map um, area that you always spawn in or is it going to be a random one across... Um, uh, a number of um, uh, places. Uh, you can kind of like the whole premise of the game is that you can kind of like plan your road road to that borders on. So there's going to be like there's most of the uh, I think transition point when you first spawn in. Um, so like um, consider the, ah, like the long okay. dark for example. You can choose a location or you can set it to random um, or is it um, yeah? How is that working? Uh, it, it's start? going to be a little randomized. You are going to spawn, obviously, when the game is based on this horizontal difficulty, you are going to spawn somewhere in the west. Let's say, yep. say that. Okay. Um, uh, what have we got? Um, how large is the map? Um, Tuna, we did cover that before. Um, I'll bring up the... Um, uh, there we go. Um, so yeah, what Beans is saying, uh, the map is sectioned off. So it's not a sandbox like, um, say, Daisy or Scum. Um, it's um, more like, I think you um, likened it to Stalker Anomaly, was it, um, Arthi? Yeah, that's pretty good comparison. And you can actually uh, test the map size and how the like production-ready map layout feels in that public demo 1 version 2, which is coming in quarter 1 this year. And basically what you'll do is you'll just sort of fast travel between um, the different um, sections. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yep. It's, it's some, there will be some special transitions which involve some vehicles. For example, you can take the boat and you actually have to drive that boat through different uh, ocean areas or something. But most mm -hmm. of the transition points will be like, uh, like in Stalker. There we go. I think we have um, caught up on everything. Um, if anyone has any other questions, now's your time to ask. Otherwise, Auntie, is there anything else that you want um, the community to know um, that uh, we haven't already covered? I think we've pretty much covered almost everything I wanted to. Um, what about yourself? Was there anything you really wanted to get out there to everyone? Uh, not specifically. There was some great questions. Uh, mostly, I just want to say that uh, this project requires a bit of patience because uh, in order to make all these cool things come to in, in reality and not just talk and uh, these like uh, fancy words and phrases uh, that's going to take some time but this production has been planned for a long time and I'm not going anywhere so if you decide to jump in, jump in and follow this game you are I, I can ensure you 
that this project will not be abandoned. I'm sure that many developers have said that before and they have yep. abandoned the production, but uh, I understand that building that trust and commitment takes a long time. Uh, I have been, uh, like, I have publicly said these things uh, almost a year now. So Look, I'm, it I'm, I'm might gonna, take... I'll say something for you, Auntie. I know you're, uh, you're very concerned about that, but I have a lot more faith in your ability to deliver this game than I do in uh, Fantastic's ability to deliver the day before. No shade <laughs> um, in really intended, but my God, what you have delivered looks so much better than what we have seen from the day before, and that's meant to be releasing in a few months' time. So... Yeah, I, I reckon if I put a poll up on my Twitter, um, what what game are you more confident will actually be released? Um, Road to Vostok or the day before? I think you would win hands down, mate, because you, you, you're ticking a lot of the boxes for everyone. So a um, couple of more questions there. Um, will there be factions you can join? Uh, so well, uh, I think not... it would be a bit more like um, what they were talking about with um, Dead Matter when that was um, first coming out with traders that you can become more aligned to or anything like that? Uh, not specifically. You can sort of like there's, there's this skill that is related to trading and this specific store map and these supply, suppliers, but there's no professions and these like you can be a policeman and have these different yeah. skills and there's no uh, stalker-like factions. There will be kind of like factions related to the map because the border zone holds different kind of AIs, the Vostok holds different kind of AIs and they kind of have their own independent AI system. But in terms of player, I want to provide a game world that you can tailor totally for your story. I don't want to like lock you into different professions or skills. And I think uh, there hasn't been that much uh, survival games recently that do a good job in this really providing a sandbox experience. And Road yeah. to Vostok, I want to provide that you can really tailor the gameplay experience for you. And okay. even in the game, game name is Road to Vostok. The Vostok is never like forced to you. Of, yeah. of course, there's some quest that requires for you to go there. But if you want to have more casual style, you enjoy fishing, you enjoy base building, and you want to have this kind of survival experience, there's no need for you to go there. Yep. Unless you're an absolute loot whore like I am. So I'll be <laughs> going there. I'll be going there because I've got to get that sweet, fat, juicy loot. Um, I think we'll do it uh, there with questions, folks, because we've got a couple of um, um, other ones I haven't covered yet, and we're coming up on two hours now, which I think is a, a nice round number, and um, Auntie's uh, got a game for to make for us all, folks. We don't want to tie him up too much longer. Um, uh, good question from Zadar there. So if you die in Area 5, um, will you spawn back at your base if you have one, or will it be a random spawn? Um, and I'll, um, uh, I'll elaborate on that. Um, will you be able to get back to your body and get your gear back, or is that body and whatever it had on it gone? Uh, the body is gone. You can't get uh, back to that. So you, if you, similar like in Tarkov, uh, if you die on the map, you lose the gear you had on the map, but yep. you will be spawned in the last shelter you were uh, so at least that's how the game currently works. Yep. I think there's some designs to this that might add sure. more more spice to this uh, dying in Area 5. But currently, if you die in Area 5 map, you lose the gear gear you had uh, with you and you spawn in the shelter you were 
previously. Okay, I like that. That's brutal. That's good. That's really, really good. Um, and uh, from Najened, um, I hope I said your name right. Sorry if I didn't, buddy. Uh, next dev stream when I really like those, and I'll second that. I've been enjoying them as well. Uh, I think next week would be kind of ideal. Uh, I have been on this development holiday where I decided, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you have followed my Twitter, but I basically posted last month that I didn't do any content creation for last two months, pr pretty much. Yeah. And I basically uh, made this holiday where I can focus totally on the development and there's no distractions and content creation and it has been really paying off in terms of progression. But now when I have ended that development holiday uh, i i'm i'm back to that or original uh, streaming making each month the development update because this project need needs that transparency even though it requires some work for me but i'm getting used to that streaming mindset more and more and it's easy way for me to answer questions and show some uh, development stuff so i think next next week would be uh, next time for the stream awesome um, and I think Beans um, sums up um, how a lot of us are feeling. Um, I would just like to say thanks to Auntie. He is unmatched in his transparency and he doesn't shy away for the details and his work ethic makes me jealous. Uh, yeah, without a doubt, my favourite dev. Um, I think you've, um, um, you know, from the um, 30 to 40 people who've been in here watching the stream live um, and from those who... Um, we'll watch the VOD when I um, upload it. I will private it just because uh, um, I've just had the intros, outros, that sort of stuff, and then I'll have it up ASAP for everyone. Um, but I think for those who are going to watch the um, uh, the VOD of this as well, um, I think you've um, made a lot of us feel a lot more comfortable um, with supporting you. Um, I hope um, that everyone considers signing up to the Patreon if you can afford it. Um, if you can't, Great, but continue to you know, do what you can to help spread word about the game. Share it on social media. When you're in your discords, chatting with your buddies, make sure they've heard of Road to Bostock um, and share it. Um, one thing, um, uh, B has asked this question a few times. Um, you said you're heavily influenced by Stalker. What are your thoughts of Stalker 2, the um, information coming out about that game? Oh man, I have so many <laughs> thoughts about this. But uh, to keep it, to keep it short, I, there's only one game, uh, one upcoming game that I'm excited about currently, and it's Dark Two. Uh, I'm not excited about that, unfortunately. <laughs> because... <laughs> but but Starker Two, I'm excited about. But yep. uh, to be honest, the visual style is so high in that project. At least what they have shown. And personally, I've been teaching how to make that visual stuff, and I know how time-consuming it's to maintain that level of fidelity for a big game world. So I'm really, unfortunately, I, I fear that it's going to take for a while before that game comes out. I might be wrong, but having because the graphics are looking one of the best I have ever seen in a video game. Well, and Stalker has never never been about graphics before it's all about the experience and atmosphere and this time i think the graphics are the front line of their development which is totally cool but it's kind of like i fear that it's going to consume so much development time it has to consume that so much development time uh, because making that kind of like post-apocalyptic environment there isn't any pre-made asset packs for all those environment pieces they has to be uh, yep. totally tailored and handmade in order to 
like preserve that stalker experience so i think that game is going to take for a while before it comes out or they are going to have some compromises for developing the product in like certain area and then like uh, providing certain area after the initial release or something but if they are going to do open world stalker with that level of graphics i think that's that's quite a task to complete but i'm i'm really cheering up for them and uh that's definitely the game that i'm excited about well i'm going to be very very selfish here um and i've never played the original stalker game i've watched uh content on it uh my son is a um uh, a stalker fan um and he's he's watching stalker 2 with interest but i'm going to be selfish and say i hope they take a bloody long time because i think that there's only one danger to um road to bostock and that's you start playing stalker 2 and get that <laughs> absorbed with it that you forget all about um this game that we all here are re- waiting for so passionately so take your time stalker 2 um we've got a guy who needs to finish a game called road to bostock for, for us first so yeah uh, Auntie, thank you so, so much for taking the time to um, chat with myself and um, answer the uh, questions of the people who turned up for the live stream. Um, I wish you all the best, mate. I'm, I'm really excited for this. A first-person game where, you know, when you just want to relax and, you know, be able to press the... Oh, that's actually one. Will you be able to pause it when you're in the um, uh, the red zone or is in the red zone? No, there's no pausing, no, um, you know... Oh crap! There's someone there. I'll just pause it quickly and work out what I'm going to do. Is that something you've considered? I think pausing the game or having these like uh, player-driven uh, breaks in the Vostok side of things. Uh, I, I'm going to like provide that Vostok experience in a way that you're really like stick to your seat and you're like the tension is so high that uh, if there's going to be a break in Vostok side, I have made something wrong because I want that experience to be really captivating and I want it to be like a loot coupling style idea that when you return from the border zone back to you, like, now I can rest and now it's time for a break. That's basically my answer to this. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so, so much, Auntie. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to the next major update. Um, and yeah, next week, uh, make sure you subscribe to the Road to Vostok YouTube channel, folks, um, and keep your eye open for his next dev stream. Um, you've been releasing a lot of info, and like Bean said, everyone's appreciating your transparency and honesty um, with how you're uh, developing your game, mate. Um, I'm very excited for it, and I wish you nothing but the best, and don't forget to sign up to the Patreon if you can afford it, folks. Okay, thanks for having me. All the best, and we will see you next time. I'm um, doing another interview this weekend with a variety uh, streamer called Rick's Latee. Um, I'll have some information coming out on the channel about it. But, yeah, all the best, everyone. Um, and thank you all so, so much for hanging around. Say bye-bye. <laughs>